Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this 500th HCI podcast episode, I share with you my recent conversation with Richard Matthews on The Hero Show about maximizing your personal and organizational potential. My number one goal is to help everyone recognize and see their own potential and to be able to strive then to reach it. Uh, and some of that happens through one-on-one efforts, through coaching, mentoring, those sorts of things. Uh, but some of it happens through you know, organizational structures and systems and the policies, practices, and procedures that have been placed within an organization um, that sometimes aren't terribly effective or might be harmful in some way, even, even if unintentionally. And so always being willing to challenge the status quo, be, being willing to look at what's, what, what, what is working, what's not working and why, and then let's, let's fix it. Let's make it better for everyone so everyone can thrive, everyone can have an opportunity to fulfill their potential. And that's, that's ultimately what, in my mind, what leadership is. If I'm a leader and I'm effective, then I'm helping every single person on my team be their very best authentic self. Uh, which will allow them to be productive and innovative uh, and, and to help drive positive outcomes for the organization. If I want to be successful as a leader, I, I build up and I train up th- those people that I work with so that they become the next generation of, of super leaders. Are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored the entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. So my name is Richard Matthews and today I have on the line Jonathan Westover. Jonathan, are you there? I'm here. Great to be with you. Awesome. Glad to have you here, Jonathan. I know you were saying you're you're coming in from uh, Utah, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm south of Salt Lake City. Has it started to warm up over there yet? You know, it's been pretty nice weather the last several days. Uh, we did get a little bit of snow last week. So, you know, a li- little bit of a uh, late Winter's spring. Winter's not quite over. <laughs> yeah, late spring frost, but uh, it, clear skies now, and it's it's probably up around 60. Yeah, I spent, uh, when I was, I don't know, six or seven years old, my parents lived in uh, Salt Lake City for a few years. Um, and I remember first time it snowed there because um, I was a California kid and I didn't know what snow was. So that freaked me out. I thought it was, but it was really cool. So <laughs> yeah, my first experiences with winter were in, uh, were in Utah. <laughs> oh, excellent. Uh, 
So for those of you who are listening or following along with my wife and I's journey, we are um, in the Poconos in Pennsylvania right now. Pretty cool. On our way up the East Coast, finally, after three years of trying to get up the East Coast. Um, and before we get too far into the interview, Jonathan, I want to do just a quick introduction for you. Um, you are an award-winning number one international best-selling author and you're number one um, ranked HR innovation and future of work global thought leader and influence um, at Thrinker, what is it? Three? Wow, I'm going to butcher that. Thinkers 360. Um, and so you teach leadership um, to organizations, is that right? That's right. I'm, I'm a full-time professor at the local university here, and I do consulting work with my firm, Human Capital Innovations. So I teach leadership, uh, ethical decision-making, organizational development and change management, and pretty much anything related to organizational leadership or people management is what I cover at the university with my students as well as in corporate settings. Awesome. So um, you do, you, you're a professor, obviously, but then you also do writing, which is, uh, you know, stuff that you do for entrepreneurially. And then you have your consulting practice. You're busy, dude. <laughs> oh, I, I like to um, stay busy. Yeah. So my first question for you then is about your origin story. How did you get into the business of consulting and the business of, you know, writing and stuff like that? We say on this show, every good comic book hero has an origin story, whether, um, you know, that's they were bit by a radioactive spider that made them want to get into it, um, or that maybe they started in a job and eventually get into the, uh, the business side of, of the world. How did you get started as, a, uh, as an entrepreneur? Yeah, great question. So... I was one of those undergrad students that switched majors a bunch of times um, and going all the way back into my teenage years, I was always really good at math. And so I kind of got labeled the math kid. And when I went off to college, um, that's what I majored in. I majored in math and my parents thought maybe I'd be a mathematician, an engineer, an architect, something like that. Um, yeah. But after a little while, I, I realized, you know, I, while I liked math, I was pretty good at it. It, it wasn't something I really wanted to do. And I ended up shuffling around a little bit. I, I went to business management. Uh, I then went into accounting. Uh, the university I was at had a top national accounting program. And, and so it seemed like a, you know, a good fit. I was good at it. Uh, and it would ensure a, a stable, successful career with good organizations. Um, but then I, I had an opportunity to do an internship and it really did change my life. Um, I had lived abroad in South Korea for a couple of years. And so uh, coming back from that experience and going, returning to the university, I was minoring in Korean and my Korean professor showed up to class one day and just said, Hey, who would like to go back to Korea for an internship this summer? So my hand shot up. I didn't even know what the internship was going to be, what I'd be doing, what the, who the company was. Uh, I just knew that I wanted to go back. And I had no reason to not, I, you know, I wasn't planning on doing anything in particular over the summer. So uh, next thing I know, I'm on my way back to Korea, uh, the Southern part near Pusan, if anyone is familiar with that area, I was actually living in Kuni and I was placed in the corporate offices of LG electronics in their organizational development nice. office. Uh, it, it, it was an amazing opportunity. It's, it's not something I had ever anticipated. Uh, I completely just lucked into it, backed into it. And after a summer of doing that, uh, I came back to the university and went to a couple, you know, probably like a month worth of accounting classes again and realized, you know what? I really don't want to do accounting. I want to do what I did over the summer. And so I went and talked to my professors and they said, well, that, that's great, but we don't really have that program here. 
um, go, go do a social science. So I switched my major one more time away from accounting to sociology and uh, minored in business, minored in Korean. And with the intention that I wanted to, to go into HR, I wanted to focus on org development and change management, leadership, those sorts of topics. Uh, it's clearly that was a very risky move though. I, I left the certainty of, yeah. a, of a very stable accounting career for something as unstable as getting an undergrad in a social science, like sociology. <laughs> and, you know, that's not typically, you don't think of like big careers being made for, you know, by a sociologist. So, um, as, as I was finishing up my undergrad, I, I decided to go straight into my master's program uh, where I focused on human resource management and organizational behavior. And the intention was, you know, once I got my master's degree under my belt, uh, I would be able to, you know, land a good job in the area that I was most interested in. And I had done some work as an internal consultant working in the, the human resource development area of a large organization internally, but also as a, uh, I worked with a consulting firm, an external consulting firm that would go into organizations and try to help them diagnose problems and do training and figure out, you know, what to do better. Uh, and so I knew that's really what I wanted to do. And as I was approaching the end of my master's program, I started interviewing with big corporations and was a little disillusioned as for the first time I allowed myself to realize, I, I'm sure this had come up many times before, but I probably just didn't you know, pay attention to it. But as I'm going through the, the interview process, I, I began, began to realize that the type of job track that I was on was probably going to take, you know, put me at the office 80 to 90 hours a week. Um, I, yeah. was, I was interviewing for these, these management um, uh, rotation programs where you would move around the country and work in different parts, different divisions of the corporation, you know, and, and so you'd live in one place for a year, then move, go to a different part of the country, live there for a year and, and do that. And, you know, as I was thinking about that workload, 80 to 90 hours a week, moving my family, you know, every year for at least five years, uh, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. That just didn't fit with my kind of the narrative in my head about what the good life seemed like to me. And so yeah, I clearly remember walking home uh, from an interview one day, uh, I, we live just north of campus. So I'd finished an interview, it was kind of late at night, um, walking home and just realizing this, this isn't for me, I can't do this. I got home, I talked to my wife, and that's when we decided to go on for a PhD. Uh, and, and so I went off, got my PhD, and uh, the rest is history in terms of being a professor. Uh, but I always loved the consulting stuff. And so back in 2007, I started my own firm, uh, Human Capital Innovations. I've, I've dabbled with it and I've done more or less with it over the years. Uh, and so it's kind of ebbed and flowed in terms of how much time and attention I've given to it. Uh, but it's always kind of been word of mouth referral um, and, and just a kind of a fun side gig, uh, side project and an opportunity to scratch that itch while I was you know, doing my, my day job at the university. Um, then getting back to uh, the beginning of this last year, and then we get into the pandemic and that's when I decided, you know what, I'm not traveling as much as I used to for the university, you know, for research and going to conferences and those sorts of things. Um, I, you know, I think I'm going to focus on, on the, the consulting firm again, developing some more meaningful content. I started a podcast that's been very successful. Uh, I wrote cool. my book. I wrote my book that you mentioned um, that's done very well. 
and it's kind of reinvigorated my attention to the consulting side. Um, so I, I've been at the university for 12, uh, well, over 12 years now, and I still love it. It's you know still my home base, but I love having the opportunity to to do other creative things on the side, you know, with my side hustles that I do. Yeah. So do you have any plans to, um, to eventually replace your full-time job as a professor? Or do you want to keep that job and keep all of your business stuff as side stuff? That's a really good question. And, and I mean, for now, I, I really like the way it's balancing, um, doing both. Uh, and it's, it's been an interesting year too, because of COVID, you know, I, I've been, yeah. um, I've been doing everything with the university remotely too. So, you know, right now I'm in the corner of my bedroom um, and I do university stuff part of the day. I do the consulting stuff part of the day, things like this, like podcasts I do, you know, for part of the day. And there's really, it, 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 it works very, very well to, to do it that way. Um, as I think about that question, I thought about it a lot. Uh, part of it just comes down to, uh, the growth and development of the firm, of course, and I, I want to see it be successful, uh, but I only want, I, I don't want to overcommit myself, um, you know, in terms of time that I'm not able to give. Uh, yeah. and, and then I also have to think about the, the nature of higher education. And I don't know how much you or any of your listeners, listeners kind of follow the higher ed space, but it's, it's an interesting, uh, place right now. And, it's, it's shifted a lot just in the last 12 years since I became a professor and I anticipate in the next 10 years, it's going to shift even more. Um, and some of the shifts I've enjoyed and appreciated and other aspects of it, I haven't. And so, you know, at some point I could, I could definitely see hitting a tipping point, you know, where I decide, you know, uh, it, it was a great run. I, I think I'm done being a professor and I'll just go um, full time doing the consulting. Full time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you've got a, a storied history for getting into entrepreneurship. Um, so my, my, my next sort of question for you has to do with your superpowers, right? And, <laughs> you know, we say on, on, uh, on this show, every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's a fancy flying suit made by a genius intellect, or, you know, maybe the ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, right? And that's a skill or a set of skills that you're either born with or you developed over time that really helps you. Um, and, you know, it energizes all your other skills and it helps you slay the villains for the people that you help, right? So they can come out on top of their own journeys. And if you really think about it, you have probably a bunch of skills you've developed over your life. And there's one sort of common thread that ties all of them together. Um, and that's where most people find their superpower. So with that sort of framing, what do you think your superpower is in your business? You know, I, I think it comes back to um, my ability to focus. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, I, I seemed, and it kind of drives my wife and some of my family nuts, um, but I, I tend to just be able to focus and I can kind of switch back and forth between things very quickly and very easily. Um, and so and, and I recognize that's not always the way it is. You know, sometimes people have to kind of rev up in, into whatever they're working on. It takes a little bit of, of uh, time to get up to speed. And for whatever reason, yeah. I've just had the ability for as long as I can remember to just kind of switch from one thing to the other, uh, which means I'm efficient and I'm very productive. Um, I, I think I'm an intelligent person, but I'm not like, like I don't have some crazy IQ or anything, um, but I'm a hard worker and I'm, I have the ability to focus. And so 
I just, I just get lots done. I'm a very productive person. And, uh, and that's what I hear from people more than anything is, you know, they appreciate my insights. They appreciate, you know, uh, my approach, the help I can give them, but they're also just amazed by how much I get done, like how much I produce. And I don't have any good answer for that other than it just seems to be this, this ability to focus. I once had a boss tell me that, uh, hiring me was like hiring 10 people. (laughs) <laughs> for what is essentially the same reason, right? You can, when you can focus and just get stuff done, um, it's really a really useful skill. Um, but I think, I think what's, what's interesting about one of the things you said there was the ability to switch focus from one to the other without having any sort of like spin down or spin up time. Um, and that's an interesting skill that I don't think um, is very common. Uh, and cause I, um, I know like people, I, I run, I run two businesses Um and I know people think I'm nuts for doing that, but you know, we've got systems and stuff to the point where I only have to spend about four hours a day on either one of them. Um, and you know, they're completely different organizations, different employees, different people that I'm working with. And I can, you know, drop one and pick up the other one minute to the, to the next. Yeah. Um, and some of my close friends in the business community are like, that's crazy. Like, I don't know how you do that. Like I have to, they'd have to be on two separate like months to, to work like that in their head. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious with that skill set, is that something that you developed or is that something that you think um, just sort of comes naturally to you or, um, you know, and, and how is that helpful in growing your practice? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Um, I mean, I, I definitely remember even as a child, um, you know, for example, I, I was just always good in school, always. Um, school was never a struggle, getting homework done, focusing on a project, those sorts of things you know, that just seemed to always come fairly natural to me. Um, So I do think there's just a bit of it just kind of being this nice, I I was lucky to get, have this nice, um, you know, capability, even as a young child. uh, DNA jackpot. Yeah. You know, and, and as I grew up though, I certainly had the opportunity, I found the opportunity to hone it. Uh, And I, and I think of two periods in my life where it was really put to the test. So I, I, I referred to earlier um, that I spent a couple of years in South Korea. Now, uh, yeah. learning a language like Korean and, and being immersed in the country at the age of 19 to 21 is when I went. Um, I learned Korean. Uh, I was there and, uh, and it was just this intense period. And you're, you're super busy. I was a service missionary for my church. And um, you're just super busy up at 6am, uh, working all day, going to bed at 1030 at night, studying the language every moment you get when you're not out serving and, and trying to make a difference in the community. And at that time, you know, I, I, it, it really put my ability to focus, uh, my work ethic, all, all those sorts of things to the test. And I, I thought at that point that I was a good student, that I was, I was a good studier. Um, but it, it, I was able to take it to a whole new level in my ability to, to focus, to get things done and to, to just make steady progress. Uh, one of the things I found during that time as well was, um, you know, kind of the, 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 uh, tortoise and the hare, um, story that I, I wasn't the yeah. fastest to pick up on the Korean language. There were other service missionaries around me that picked it up at least initially they picked it up faster. Um, but I, I was, one who, who was very consistent, uh, and, and worked hard at it over the course of the entire time I was there. And so by the time I came home, 
Um, I, I think most people would, would say I was one of the best speakers uh, in the language, uh, even though that probably no one would have said that, certainly not the first half of the time I was there. Yeah. So, so some of it's just persistence, right? Resiliency, persistence, hard work, and then just kind of training yourself to, to focus. And then when I got back, um, I, I got married young. I was 23, started having children. I have six children. And, um, and so my wife, Nine. you know, also I have four. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great big families. And, um, my wife, you know, also she, she also is a university professor. She teaches math. So, you know, we're both busy. We're both going through school. We're having kids. We're crazy busy. And I kind of had no choice at that point to, but to figure out how to get like tons of things done in, in a limited space of time. It was either that, or I was going to burn out and I wasn't going to finish my program. Um, and, and so, you know, over the years, I just kind of fine tuned my approach to just making sure I'm, I'm present and focused on whatever I'm working on at the moment. Um, and then that, that ability to switch gears and go from one thing to the next quickly was really honed and fine tuned during that time. Yeah. Yeah. I know, um, being a, uh, a parent, especially with a lot of children, being able to focus completely, like with whichever child or children you're hanging out with, um, is also, you know, it's really useful to be able to actually give them your attention. Um, I sometimes find a little bit of struggle with like, if I'm working on something really complicated, it, you know, with one of my, uh, businesses and being able to pull out and then focus on your children. Sometimes that's a harder gear to, to shift than it is from like one business problem to another. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, that's one of the ones I'm working on honing. Cause I know like if I'm in my business world and working on those, I can shift between things really quickly, but then shifting from like that to like life stuff is that's where I find it a little bit. Um, I need a little bit of a spend down time to send it to come back into it. Like the world where you can actually be present with your kids. So that's an interesting uh, superpower. The uh, flip side, of course, of superpowers is the fatal flaw. And just like you know, every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, you probably have a flaw that's held you back in your business, something that um, you struggled with. For me, it was a couple of things, things like perfectionism um, that kept me from actually shipping products, you know, because I could always tweak it just a little bit more um, before I'd bring it to market. Um, or... Um, lack of self-care, which for me led to letting, not having good boundaries with my clients and letting my clients walk all over me. Um, and, you know, that was uh, something I had to work on and fix. Um, but I think more important than what the flaw is, is how did you work to rectify it? So, uh, you know, you could continue to grow and continue to actually build the business the way you want. Um, and hopefully sharing will help our listeners learn a bit from you. Yeah, it, it, it's a really important question. I, I share um, your challenge around self-care that's something that, you know, I, I, I just grew up from, from my youngest memories. I remember just having it ingrained in me that I need to be helping others, serving others, taking care of others, which is a great attribute, right? I really appreciate that value being instilled in me and my upbringing um, yeah. and, ha- you know, having a wife and six children, you know, my focus, my number one goal, my number one focus is on my family. Um, secondary to that then is, is university stuff, business stuff. Right. And, and so, you know, recognizing that's important um, because to, to your point about self-care, you know, I need to focus on my wife. I need to focus on my kids, but I also need to make sure I'm taking care of myself. And I have had times um, where I just didn't do that. I, I was so intent on 
you know, whether it was a community service assignment that I was doing or the needs of the kids or whatever, um, and my sleep, um, my eating, you know, my exercise, whatever, those types of things would, would fade to the background. And I, and I have to admit, like, I, I would feel selfish. Like if I just to like take the dogs out on a 30 minute walk once a day, I would feel selfish because I was taking that time. Yeah. Of course it's good for the dogs, but it's good for my physical and psychological health as well. And, you know, my wife has reminded me repeatedly over the years that, no, you really need that time. We need you to take that time. And, and so I've appreciated those nudges as I've gone on and it's helped me to, to prioritize uh, the self-care elements so that I can make sure that I am taking care of myself. And, and fortunately I would say, you know, at this point in time, uh, you know, there's ebbs and flows, everyone goes through it, but I would say, you know, I'm in a better place in terms of self-care now than I've probably ever been, <laughs> certainly in my, in, in my oh, adult yeah. life. And say I'm in the same place, right? I, I'm probably in the healthiest spot now that I have been my entire adult career. And, you know, to your point about taking time to yourself, I once in college, um, I decided it would be a, a good idea to not sleep and I could use all that time to uh, get extra work done. Um, that was a terrible idea. It lasted about three <laughs> days um, before I was puking in the bushes and sick as a dog. Um, but yeah, uh, I've, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you absolutely have to take care of yourself. And I would say, I mean, the flip side of the focus piece is that sometimes like I have to be careful to not be obnoxious because um, that's also something that my wife gently nudges me on, you know, from time to time, because I tend to notice things and focus on things. And, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm like um, ADHD level, but, you know, I, I tend to be hyper sensitive to like things around me and those types of changes and things. And I need to like, not let, like, I just need to let things go. Um, and not, not everything needs to be perfect. So a little bit of perfectionism, like you were talking about, um, you know, don't, don't allow the perfect to rob, you know, the, the effective or the productive and, and just make steady progress. Yeah. So I, I've gotten much better at that over the years. I know one of the things that I struggle with, with that whole being on all the time sort of mentality that I've got um, that we, we seem to share um, is that I, I like to go from project to project to project. And I, I can, I'm pretty good at being on all the time, um, which can wear on the wife and kids who are not that way. Because um, mm -hmm. I'll be like, I'll, you know, I'll work all day. And then when we're done, we'll like, I'm like, I've got a project I want to work on in the house. So I'll work on that and get the kids involved in it. And then we're like, as soon as we're done with that, I'm like, let's go out and do, you know, an adventure, do some other things because we're traveling, we got the world to see. And, you know, I'll do that like all day, every day. And um, you know, like three or four days in, my wife's like, we need to just stop and take the day off. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds so, very, very yeah. familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have to, uh, I have to practice um, and I do, I, you know, I listen to my wife and it's part of that whole self-care thing is, you know, I need to learn how to also, you know, sometimes it's okay to just sit down and take the day off and enjoy the sunrise and the sunset kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so. exactly. Slow down, slow down, take, take the quiet moments, you know, with your, with your family, with your friends and enjoy the time, be present, um, be mindful. You know, I, I think those are all really important lessons that I, I find myself having to, to relearn. Um, it, yeah. It's interesting. Like uh, sometimes you know, my wife and I are, are sitting, you know, on the couch and 
she looks like she's deep in contemplation about something and she's kind of staring off into the distance. And I asked, so, Hey, what you, what are you thinking about? And she's like, nothing. I'm like, really nothing. Cause the way my mind works, I'm always like going, like I'm always thinking about stuff, but she has the ability to just like quiet her mind and to just be there and just, you know, without all yeah. the gears turning uh, all the time. And that's, I, I, I'm quite jealous of that. I, I wish I could turn my mind do you, off. Do you often. find that the, uh, the mind turning thing makes it hard for you to fall asleep at night? Cause I've, I've noticed that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things my, uh, I'm super jealous of with my wife is she can just be like, I'm going to go to sleep now. And then like two seconds later, she's asleep. And I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> it's magical because <laughs> it takes me an hour or two hours to fall asleep every night. Cause I've always got, you know, I've got a thousand projects in my head. I want to, you know, detail out. And I, sometimes I figure some of the best business plans I've ever written have been right before you fall asleep. Can't remember any of them, but they're like mm-hmm. right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm going to move on a little bit and talk about your common enemy. Um, So your common enemy is, you know, every superhero has their arch nemesis, right? It's the thing that they have to fight against in their world, right? So in the world of business, it takes a lot of forms, but generally speaking, we put it in the context of your clients, right? So you work um, with, uh, is it, you work with a human capital, right? Um, So it's a mindset or a flaw that you have to fight against with your clients to help them. So you can help them overcome it so they can actually get the result they hired you for. Right. And if you had a magic wand, you could just bop all your clients on the head as soon as you hired them. What's that one sort of arch nemesis you wish you didn't have to fight all the time? I think there's a general, like my, my feeling is in business, people get really focused and, and rightfully so. They're focused on profits. They're, they're focused on the bottom line. They want to make sure that they're uh, you know, bringing value to the market, that they're bringing value to the shareholders. Um, all of that's yeah. of course, super important, but, but sometimes we, we forget how we get there. How do, how do we get to the innovations that allow us to give, you know, provide meaningful products and services and, and bring value to the market. And it's through the people of the organization. And some of it's kind of what I would say is just an old school mentality of, you know, my, my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation uh, of what, it meant to be corporate and what it meant to be, you know, a business person. Um, and perhaps we conceive of work differently, you know, younger generations conceive of work differently today than, than they did. I think that might be part of it. Um, but, but it's, it's a, it's a mentality that, uh, that many leaders and organizations see their people as cogs in a machine um, that yeah. are interchangeable. You can just kind of plug, you know, someone leaves or you get rid of them you can plug a new person in and you're going to be, you know, up to speed. And anyone who runs a business knows that's not the case. Um, that might, in theory, that might make sense, but it, there, there's a tremendous cost involved with turnover, whether, whether someone chooses to leave or whether you kick them out the door, you still have to replace them with someone. And it takes a while to find the right person, get them up to speed. And even when you think you have the right person, you know, it's, it's a bit of a crapshoot. I mean, you know, a lot of times yeah. organizations aren't particularly good at hiring the right people, getting the right fit with the right skills and capabilities. And so you can end up churning through people, which lowers productivity, it lowers morale, it lowers innovation. Uh, and so the number one thing I try to work on with, with clients, whether it's a coaching relationship with a leader or I'm going in to, to help with a change initiative within the organization is to think about the culture within the organization. Think about the mindset of the leadership. 
how do they view their people? Do they see their people uh, as human capital that's as worthy of investment as any other form of capital that a, that a business has? You think of plant, property, equipment, intellectual capital, financial capital. You have all these different forms of assets and capital that, or, that organizations use, and you have to invest in all of them. You have to upkeep them. You have to maintain them. Um, the same is true with the people in the organization. And yeah. of course, my bias my bias is that um, perhaps the, the human capital is the most important uh, asset that an organization has at its disposal. And so we need to create a culture of empowerment. We need to create a culture of where, where people feel genuinely valued, where they know um, that the organization is going to invest in them. And in turn, they will invest back into the organization. And it creates this, this reciprocal upward spiral of productivity and innovation when done right. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I see so many organizations where leaders, largely because they don't know any different, they just know, you know, most leaders have never gone through like like formal leadership training. They just find themselves in a leadership role because yeah. you know, they were good. They were good at their job and they got promoted. And now they're leading people. Um, but most leaders in that situation, all they're doing is trying to mimic what they saw other people do before them. And a lot of those behaviors aren't particularly effective or healthy, and they can undermine the long-term success and sustainability of the organization. So just having those kind of conversations, trying to help leaders understand that, helping them to understand and hone their leadership skills and capabilities uh, and how they approach their people and developing meaningful culture. Uh, that's, that's what I spend most of my time on. And that's the number one, like illness that I see in many organizations is just, just regardless of whatever their best intentions are, they have unhealthy culture where it's, it's fear-based and fear-based culture leads to perhaps compliance, but it doesn't lead to commitment and it doesn't lead to a long-term sustainable productivity and innovation. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that uh, um, I've been working on. So yeah, I mentioned I've got two companies, two different, two different teams. And one of them is one that I built and one of them was one that I came into. Um, and that's the, uh, the one that I built um, is, you know, I've got staff, most of them are overseas and it, it's an interesting thing there. I've, I've been um, thanked a number of times by the staff because of how I treat them. Um, and they're like, they're not used to the kind of culture that I'm trying to develop, which is that, you know, every person in the organization has value and they have goals and they have dreams outside of the organization and being a part of the organization should help them get there and should help them get to those places. Um, and, uh, you know, cause it's, you know, we're, we're going to be a big part of their life. Um, and that's sort of the way I approach and view being an employer. Um, and it's a, it's an interesting, interesting thing because I've found with a lot of, a lot of people that I've worked with over the years, um, particularly with overseas workers, like if they're not in the same like locale that you are, if they're not coming into the local office, um, and it's it's become more apparent now that a lot of the world is going remote um, with their work, where they're not even coming into the offices. That as soon as you're not face to face with someone, we start thinking flipping into the cog in a machine instead of human being with a heartbeat sort of mentality, um, and you know it's a uh, it's, a, it's an interesting thing you have to, uh, you have to learn how to develop. You have to be intentional about, I think. So. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. You definitely, you definitely have to be intentional. And my feeling is that most leaders who aren't 
particularly effective or even healthy. Um, it's not because they're not trying, like they, they, their intentions are good. Uh, most leaders have good intentions. They want to do right by their people and their organization. They don't want to have an, an unhealthy work environment. They want their people to feel empowered. Uh, they just often don't know how to do it. And if you're not uh, very intentional and, and, and mindful and present with your people, uh, then you tend to slip into patterns, again, of what you observed, how you've been led in the past. You tend to replicate those and pr then perpetuate kind of those dysfunctions um, onto your team moving forward. And again, it's not intentional. I don't think most of the time it's intentional. I don't think most people want to harm anybody. Um, but, you know, you get into the daily grind and there are frustrations that come, you know, when, when you're working on difficult things, there's frustrations and things don't always go well and you're putting out fires and it's just really easy to slip into the mindset of, you know, these people are, you know, annoying, frustrating, lazy, um, why can't they do anything right? Um, and, and kind of the negative self-talk starts to take over instead of you remembering that, no, these are really valuable people. I'm lucky to have them. I need to be supportive of them. What can I do differently to make sure that they have the greatest uh, potential, you know, they can, they can achieve their potential and have the greatest opportunity for success. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. I know one of my uh, um, like sort of personal rules I have for those things, like when you know either we have mistakes or things don't go the way that I want or they're not going as quick as I want, um, my internal self-talk and it's something I have to force myself to do and do all on a regular basis is if there's a problem, the problem is with something that I've done, right? It's either I didn't communicate well, or we don't have the training set up the way that we need, or we have a process problem. Um, they're all things that are in my world that I can control. Um, and you know, that, that keeps me from getting into the spot where it's like, Hey, it's your fault. And you're making these things, these problem, these problems, which isn't empowering, right? It's not, it doesn't help them. Um, but if it's something like, Hey, this didn't get done the way that, you know, I wanted to get done. How can I communicate that better in the future? And we can talk about it. Right. Um, and that's sort of the way I approach it. I don't know if that's right or not, but it's what I try to do. <laughs>
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's mutual accountability. So um, if you can own your side of it and then help mm-hmm. your people to own their side of it uh, and have a mutually accountable relationship, that, that is the best um, scenario to build trust in meaningful relationships, whether we're talking about at home with wife and kids, uh, whether it's in the workplace with uh, between manager and subordinates or with colleagues, uh, you just, you have to be able to know, you know, understand where other people are coming from and you have to understand that they're putting their best foot forward. And when things don't work out, they're going to do the best they can to make things better. I'm going to do the best I can to make things better. And you just hold each other mutually accountable because the reality is it's both, right? It's when, when things don't yeah. work, uh, it's, it's both as me as a leader, I probably need to rethink some of the processes or I need to rethink the way I'm communicating things. Uh, but there's probably, you know, the, the, the people that I lead also, you know, need to ask for help. They need to um, ch- be willing to be open and challenge me, um, those sorts of things. But all that comes back to the culture that you're trying to develop. And if I don't have a safe culture, for example, it's not psychologically safe for my people to directly challenge me or to speak up or to say, well, that's stupid, or why are you having us do it that way? If that's the environment, then yes, it's all on me because I'm not, I'm not allowing, um, you know, I'm not creating an environment where they can, um, do what they need to do. And, and it's more fear-based and they're going to end up just kind of skating by doing the bare minimum. So they don't rock the cart, you know, and, and, and upset the boss. Um, but if I'm doing what I need to be doing and things don't go right, yeah, have an open discussion and together figure out like what we could all do better. Uh, moving forward to make things more productive, more effective. Yeah. I, I like the, uh, you mentioned while we were talking about that, that uh, um, the mutual accountability also works in the family. And that's a, uh, it's an interesting thing. I know we try, we try to do similar things at home with the kids um, where, you know, just like as an example, um, you know, one of our, our rules for the kids, we got young kids. So, you know, we got rules posted up on the wall and it's like, you know, obey the first time. And what I've been telling my son, who's 11 years old since the day he was born, basically, it's like, you, you have to obey because I have perspective you don't have. So if I say stop, I mean stop because you might get run over by a truck you don't see kind of thing, right? But you can always ask me why. Like, you're you're welcome to challenge my, my uh, instructions and I'll tell you why, right? And we'll go through those things because um, I want to have, have that. And what it's, what it's created is, you know, now he's, you know, he's getting to be almost a teenager um, and he feels safe asking why and pushing forward and then when i when i screw up and make a mistake which happens <laughs> he'll call me out on it and be like dad you were, you kind of overreacted there <laughs> right and stuff like that so anyways yeah, it, it works at home too which is uh it's cool and i think it, it'll help it i don't know i think it, it's just sort of my way of helping to develop them into be being good leaders themselves when they grow up so yeah absolutely and i i think i think uh you know it's it's being generous to each other being quick to um, apologize, quick to forgive, um, being quick to compliment. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely ble- believe in the the sentiment. You know, never suppress a kind thought. So, you know, I, I just need to own my mistakes. I need to be open and transparent with whether it's my people at work or or my family at home. Um, and just like you, like I, there's sometimes where I overreact to things and give myself a moment to calm down. And then go back to the, to my child, you know, whether it's a teenager or, or my youngest, my seven year old, and say, "Hey, I'm I'm sorry, I overreacted. There's, you know, I, I shouldn't ever do that." And and yeah. you know what? We give each other a hug. And we say it's okay, 
and you move on. And, and that's the kind of uh, environment that we need. And I hope that my, my kids and my wife will be generous with me um, in interpreting how I interact with them. And I hope my, those people I work with will do the same. And I hope, you know, that I can do the same for them. Yeah, absolutely. So with human capital and having the sort of the wrong mentality about human capital as being the number one thing you're fighting against, the flip side of that coin is your driving force is the thing you fight for, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or, you know, Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it you fight for with your consulting practice? Yeah. I mean, ultimately it's the tagline for my business is maximizing the human capital potential um, of each individual within an organization. So my number one goal is to help everyone recognize and see their own potential and to be able to strive then to reach it. Uh, and some of that happens through one-on-one -on -one efforts, through coaching, mentoring, those sorts of things. Uh, but some of it happens through, you know, organizational structures and systems and the policies, practices, and procedures that are in place within an organization um, that sometimes aren't terribly effective or might be harmful in some way, even, even if unintentionally. And so always being willing to challenge the status quo, be, being willing to look at what's, what, what, what is working, what's not working and why, and then let's, let's fix it. Let's make it better for everyone. So everyone can thrive. Everyone can have an opportunity to fulfill their potential. And that's, that's ultimately what, in my mind, what leadership is. If I'm a leader and I'm effective, then I'm helping every single person on my team be their very best authentic self, uh, which will allow them to be productive and innovative uh, and, and to help drive positive outcomes for the organization. If I want to be successful as a leader, I, I build up and I train up th those people that I work with so that they become the next generation of, of super leaders. And ultimately organizations need to also keep in mind um, how they're investing in, you know, from the C-suite all the way down through middle management down to, to the lowest level supervisor, how they're preparing and training their leadership um, so that they can do what I just described. Because like I said earlier, you know, I think a lot of times we think leadership just comes naturally. Like you just, you, you're going to be in, you find yourself in a position, you're going to figure it out. Well, some people do, some people don't. Um, and a lot of people perpetuate a lot of unhealthy uh, behaviors and practices. And so organizations should be proactive about making sure they're providing the training and the opportunities to develop their leaders because that is, those are the people that are directly going to impact the culture and the experience, the environment of those teams. When I, when I, if I'm an employee at an organization, um, you know, the organization as a whole could be a mess and pretty unhealthy. But if I have a great boss in our little bubble down here that our little team is super healthy and super empowering and productive, you know what? I'm probably not even going to be all that aware of all the crazy chaos that's going outside of my little team. Right. And so yeah. what we need to do is help each leader have that potential to create their own little, you know, workplace utopia within their little team of people. And there's going to be messiness in the organization as a whole, the larger the organization, the more complex it becomes. Um, but empowering each leader to, to have that kind of an effect on their people. And then again, it, it will breed the next generation of leaders. 
and and it's just really a, a win-win-win all the way around uh, because people are going to be happy and satisfied with their work. They're going to be more productive. They're going to develop in their careers and have op- more opportunities in the future. The organization is going to reap the benefits of all these great productive people. And, and ultimately, that's, I think, what, what everybody wants. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like if you do that properly, if you build, if you develop the leaders and you help the leaders develop the culture, that that culture sort of becomes self-perpetuating. Um, and it grows in the organization and stays over the long term. Well, you definitely have to continue to give attention to it. Um, it's harder to build a culture, um, for sure. So once you have a healthy culture in place and it's kind of become muscle memory and it's just kind of embedded into the organization, it's how things are done. Um, then yes, that's going to be easier to sustain and perpetuate, but you do need to make sure that you give attention to it continually and that it continues to be. Um, something that's talked about um, and that when you start to see behaviors that are inconsistent with whatever the desired culture is, the, the work environment that you want to create, that you can, you can address it head on and, and try to make any adjustments yeah. that are necessary. Um, left unchecked, those unhealthy behaviors can start to dismantle you know, a, a really great workplace culture. Um, one senior executive um, can wreak havoc on a really great organization if they're left unchecked and they, and they do a lot of unhealthy things. So you just got to be careful of that too. Makes sense. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some practical things, right? I call this uh, the hero's tool belt, right? And just like every superhero has awesome, you know, a tool belt with awesome gadgets like batarangs and web slingers and laser eyes or big magical hammers. I'm going to talk about top one, maybe two tools that you couldn't live without in your business, right? Things that help you develop that culture and work with people, right? Could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to something you use for marketing or something you actually use to do your coaching and, you know, product delivery. Um, Something you think is essential to getting your job done and actually, you know, just a a practical tool that helps you do your work. Yeah. I I think for me personally, like like for me in my ability to stay organized and productive, it's, it's very simply my calendar um, that I, I put detailed information, you know, about the meetings that are coming up um, and what those meetings are about, what we're going to be covering. You know, if it's with a client, I know exactly you know, I have notes in there about what we talked about last time, what we're going to be talking about this time. Uh, if it's an, if it's a meeting with my team, we have an agenda. I know what's going to be covered, you know, just being organized that way makes a big difference. And so the night before, you know, one of the things that I found to really help me turn off my mind and not ruminate and try to think about like everything that's coming the next day is to just, you know, take a little bit of time to look over my calendar for the next day. And I have the details in there and I know exactly what I'm going to be doing. And so then it makes it easier for me to set it aside and not to worry about it or yeah. to, to continue to think you know, about you've got it. it so that's down. something that's been, that that's something that's helpful for me uh, in working with clients um, or whether honestly whether it's students at the university whether it's um, uh, organizational leaders that I'm mentoring or coaching or it's an organization that I'm doing consulting work with um, ultimately one of the the most foundational tools that I found that is more transformative than anything is simple self-reflection um, encouraging whether it's my students, whether it's a leader, encouraging them, encouraging them to take time to pause and to think about what they're learning, what they're doing, um, what the like key takeaways, what the ahas are, how it, how they see it at play in their life. Um, and then setting, you know, some just very simple goals. 
around you know what they want to be doing moving forward it's not rocket science it's it's literally just taking 10 minutes um to journal to to self-reflect and to, to jot some of those ideas down and if you can do that consistently it's amazing uh how quickly you can start to transform your own mindset because you're you're present you're aware um you're you're um you start to see some of your blind spots. You start to see some of your implicit biases come out as you reflect back and, and review um, what you've written. And, and ultimately that leads to better conversations with my clients that leads to them having better conversations with their people or in a university workspace or uh, university uh, classroom workspace. That means my students are learning more deeply. They're applying the material that they're learning in the classroom to real life situations that will help them, you know, to really, hit the ground running when they get out into their career. And ultimately that's, that's what I'm going for. Um, the other thing I would say in terms of like the go-to tool and just working with organizations as a consultant is something we all learned in like second or third grade. It's the scientific method. Um, there's no shortcut yeah. for diagnosing organiza complex organizational challenges. And you have lots of big consulting firms and they kind of have their own little trademark process or their model that they say, this is the quick fix. You do these things and you're going to be gold. That's the reality is that's not the way it works. Um, every organization is different. Every context is different. Um, and the presenting process within a given organization is usually just the surface level, right? And you don't want to just play whack-a-mole um, or put a band-aid over a surface level problem. You, you want to get deep to the roots of the problem um, and find out what's going on below the surface. And the only way you can do that is you know, using the scientific method to, to, to formulate questions and hypotheses and go and talk to people and observe and do surveys and things like that to collect data and better understand the phenomenon that's occurring. And then you can start to put in place um, implementation strategies on how you can change um, those policies, practices, procedures, the systems uh, within the organization to, to uh, get at those root challenges. Uh, there's no substitute for the hard work of like going through that systematic scientific method. Um, and it's not rocket science. Like anyone, if you don't remember yeah, what, can do what the scientific method is, go, go like you Google did it. In it. Third grade, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's, it's pretty straightforward, um, but it does take some, some consistency to, to uh, remind ourselves that we need to go through that thorough process. Uh, a lot of problems I see in organizations are where they're trying to have those quick fixes to pretty substantial problems. And you just end up wasting a lot of time and money on Band-Aid um, approaches and, and the, the underlying problem, it persists. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, it's, it's fascinating. I, I've never really thought about it as a scientific method, but that's, uh, you know, that's the way you approach everything is, right? Like, you know, what if we changed something, right? Here's the, here's the way it is. Here's the way it's done. What if you, know, you have a hypothesis, a theory about how you can change it, and then you mm. try to change it and see how it affects it. And either it works exactly. the way that you thought it would or it doesn't. Yep. Um, so, and then you iterate, yeah. right? You iterate, and then you iterate. Yep. Um, and the uh, the journaling thing, um, it just one of the things that popped in my head while you're saying that was, uh, you know, one of the things we say in marketing all the time is that you can't improve what you can't measure. And it almost sounds mm -hmm. the way you were describing it that journaling is a way to measure your thoughts, right? Um, and right. if you're measuring them, then you can improve them. Um, it's it's like metrics on your brain. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Um, and 
just a FYI, we're like 160-ish episodes in, and probably a full 80% of the people we've come on here have their first most important tool has been their calendar, um, which I think it cracks me up a little really? bit because <laughs> my yeah my my uh, friends and family who are not in the business space, when I tell them that entrepreneurs live and die by their calendar, they're like, that's crazy. Who does that? I'm like, literally every entrepreneur I know. <laughs> listen dice by the calendar <laughs> um like to the point where like my my wife knows that like if she wants to make sure that i'm booked off for something that we can you're going to do something for a family she puts it on the calendar on the family calendar which blocks off my section of the calendar right. for that because it's not on the calendar it doesn't exist <laughs> so yep, that, that's right yeah so I want to talk a little bit about your own personal heroes, right? Every, uh, you know, every hero has their mentors, just like Frodo had Gandalf or Luke had Obi-Wan or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, or even Spider-Man had his uncle Ben. Who are some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors? Were they speakers or authors, maybe uh, peers who were a couple years ahead of you? And how important have they been to what you've accomplished so far in your career as a professor and your, uh, your, your business as a consultant? Yeah, I've I've had tons of mentors, and, and some of them been, have been more formal mentors, but most of them have been of the informal variety. And many of them didn't even know that I considered them as a mentor, right? Um, but they're people I looked to, and I tried to model uh, my practices and behaviors after. Um, and and I try to to take the time to thank them, you know, for the impact that they had on me in my career. Um, again, often they didn't even realize, you know, to the extent they were influencing me. Um, but, but the impact was real and, you know, there, there are some specific individuals, um, you know, that I think, I think about and reflect on. I'm like, yeah, they, that one person, like they helped change my trajectory. So I can, I can spot some of those people along my path. Um, but largely it's just kind of this coalition of like good people that I try to surround myself with who are supportive who are um, successful in their own right, and and I can look to them as a great example and and know you know what I should try to avoid or what I should try to do. Um, so I certainly have appreciated that, and it's benefited my career greatly. I think one of the uh, most fascinating things about asking that question is how often the answer is someone who doesn't know that they are a hero or a mentor to you, right? Whether it's you know a mom, a dad, a teacher, or someone who's just in your life. Um, and if you were to ask them, be like, yeah. Hey, did you know you were such and such hero? <laughs> they wouldn't even know. Right. And one of the things that, uh, that always reminds me is that I, I want to be the kind of person, um, whether it's to my kids or the people that I'm interacting with, that's worthy of having that kind of influence. Cause you never know when you do. Um, and chances are you probably yeah. are having that kind of influence on someone's life. So it's always it's just a thing that's in the back of my mind that are you acting in such a way that you're worthy of that kind of, you know, responsibility, I guess. Um, we're right about the end of the interview. I have um, one more question I do here about your guiding principles, right? And one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code, right? For instance, Batman never kills enemies. He uh, always brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, let's talk about the top one or two principles that you use regularly in your life. Maybe something you wish you knew when you first started out on your own hero's journey. Yeah, you know, that, that's actually one of the things I teach when, I, when we... Um, look at ethical decision-making, um, it, whether in a university or a corporate setting, it, it's about um, identifying your core values and then prioritizing them um, so they can guide you throughout your life um, for those ethical and moral difficult situations you find yourself in. For me, I would say uh, number one is I, I want to do no harm to those around me. 
that may sound strange, but you know, I, I realize that, you know, there are a lot of harms that happen in the world um, that had good intentions at the root. Uh, and so good intentions though, regardless of what those intentions are, if they cause harm, then they, they shouldn't be done. And so I try to take a, a systems thinking and a systematic approach to the, the, the issues that I try to uh, help resolve, whether it's in an organization or in the community or at home, um, to try to think about those unintended consequences um, that could occur. Uh, and and at, at the baseline, I, I want to do no harm. I don't want to hurt anyone, regardless of my best intentions or best efforts. Um, and then building off of that, then, you know, I want to have openness and transparency in how I um, communicate with people so we can develop trust and uh, have meaningful ongoing, you know, reciprocal relationships. And then yeah. I hope that that then leads into the opportunity to, you know, have truly caring, genuine caring, um, respect, um, treating people with dignity and respect and love and compassion. Uh, and, you know, that that's kind of the hierarchy of how I go about my interactions with people. And I, I try to live up to that. Um, of course, I'm not perfect, but uh, you know, that's that's what's on the forefront. If you ever figure out perfection, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, likewise. <laughs> in comic books, there's always the uh, crowd of people who are, you know, cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism. Um, so our analogs to that is we want to find out where people can find you. Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, you know what? I need your help, Jonathan, with our human capital organi our organization. Um, and I think more importantly than where they can reach out is who are the right types of organizations to reach out, raise their hand and ask for your assistance. Yeah, uh, people can find me at www.innovativehumancapital.com. Um, you can see the, the firm and all the things that we do. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. If you just search Jonathan Westover, uh, I'll pop up. There aren't that many Jonathan Westovers out there. Um, and please do get connected. Every organization has challenges and problems. Um, I've yet to find one that doesn't. And it doesn't matter if it's a nonprofit, you know, a small nonprofit, a mom-pop shop, a uh, you know, a government agency or a large corporation, they all tend to have the similar types of challenges. And so I would say anyone yeah. listening, if, if you feel like you could use some help, um, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn and let's explore. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories, Jay Jonathan. It's been a fascinating conversation. Um, and if you are in that spot, you're running an organization. I know it's something that I've been learning and struggling through is how to build a culture and how to take advantage and grow the human capital in my organization. And I would, you know, I know it's a difficult thing to just get right for the first time. So definitely take the time to reach out to Jonathan if you are listening and that's of interest to you. And I guess before we hit the stop record button, Jonathan, do you have any final words of wisdom for the audience? Uh, final word, I, I would just say, you know, uh, in your own journey, own it, uh, be authentic and genuine to yourself. That's one thing. I'm, I'm glad I figured that out in college. Uh, I, I, I come in, in, I encounter a lot of individuals who kind of were on the same path I was, they go into a career because they think that's what's expected of them, or they, it's something that, you know, they found themselves being good at or whatever. And then they get 10, 20 years in and they really hate what they do. Um, I would say just search for what interests you, what you're passionate about, be genuine and authentic and uh, be willing to take a little bit of a risk. And usually that pays off. Yeah, absolutely. So you heard him be genuine, authentic and take the risks. I tell people on the show all the time, to uh to take risks it's one of my my uh, you know 
most important principles is take the risk because you never know what's going to happen on the other side. So that's uh, it's very powerful. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jonathan. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.